As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic's Football GM Podcast. And now, The Athletic's Mike Sando and former NFL Executive of the Year, Randy Muir. Welcome to the Football GM Podcast. Coming out of Week 10, heading into Week 11, Mike Sando here, Senior Writer at The Athletic, with Randy Muir, the GM. Randy, good morning to you. Hey, Mike. Good to be with you. I uh, love this time of year. It makes me miss a little bit uh, of that GM chair because these, this is when the GMs and head coaches around the league, there's been so many things happen in the last 48 hours. This is when they earn their money. And uh, we're fixing to find out who, who can not only build the depth that they're looking for at this time of year, but uh, kind of be a, a little bit of a psychoanalysis of your own team expert per se. So it'll be fun to see how this pans out the next week or two. Absolutely. We got some great topics, as you alluded to, and we're going to make you earn your money today. Um, and I'm excited about this podcast even more than normal because you and I um, constantly talk. We self-scout. We're honest. What do we got to do better? How do we make this podcast be everything we want it to be? And we have a special film review session. You've been in your cave looking at Devontae <laughs> Adams, looking at the Green Bay Packers at the receiver position. We're going to do a more in-depth look at that today with a GM's eye that not everybody can do. First, though, we have some big news around the league with the quarterback injuries, Drew Brees leading the way there. Uh, there's some dilemmas in other places, but I think we're going to really get into not just uh, the injuries, but broader implications. We've got Alex Smith involved in that, too, with what Washington should do. I mentioned the Devontae Adams film evaluation. We're going to talk about the coaching job that is or is not being done in New England by Bill Belichick. Uh, a quick note on the pandemic. I mean, I think there's some real implications down the stretch. Uh, we've got our pick segment with, uh, I think, headlined by the Chiefs and the Raiders. Great game there. And Rapid Fire asked the GM. Bears, NFC East, some really good stuff. Randy, let's get this thing going. Sounds good, Mike. Looking forward to it. First, you can find me on Twitter, by the way, at Sando NFL. You can find Randy at Randy Mueller underscore. Let's get into Drew Brees. And I know, you know, there, we have, there's a lot of people younger than us, Randy. I mean, I, I hate to say that, but uh, it's it's true. And they may not remember, you were general manager of the uh, of the New Orleans Saints. And uh, you go back, and I go back with uh, Mickey Loomis, their current GM. And you go, how far back do you go with Mickey? Early 80s? 
Yeah, we started at the same time with the Seahawks, 1983. So we yeah. go way back, yes. Yep, and I came onto the Seahawk beat in 1998, and and uh, Mickey was sort of a, a nearing his way out there at that time. But I've known Mickey a long time, and and they've got Drew Brees, man. When he got up from that hit um, in New Orleans, I mean, I thought I wondered if he was concussed or it, he just didn't look right. I mean, he was standing there like a fighter. And his, you know, his corner was trying to tell him, no, no, the corner's over here. This is a big deal with a lot of implications for a team that is paying Taysom Hill $10.5 million a year and telling us that he's a backup quarterback. Jameis Winston's making only $1.1. That's the number 34 APY on the team. Um, what stands out to you about this situation? And heck, I mean, we could be seeing the end of Drew Brees. Yeah, it was really it was really an odd feeling when I, mean, I happened to be watching the game at the time. And you're right; you felt like when when Drew Brees got up, he knew something was haywire inside. I mean, he his eyes were a little glassed over, and there was just an uneasy feeling for for all of us that were watching the game. And then I, I really wasn't surprised to find out later, and whether it was last night or whenever people found out that he had five broken ribs and a, and a collapsed lung. So. Oh. It sounds a lot worse than it is. I was actually taken a little bit back when, I don't know who reported it first, but they said he might be out two or three weeks. It seems a lot worse than that. You know, it seems like it. Yeah, I, I mean, the that's podcast, a car wreck, Randy. You know? If I got five broken ribs, I mean, you may yeah. be on your own here. You know. So. No, I, I hear you. It just seems like it's a, a lot worse than it is. So, at some point, you're, you're in your 40s, and and you're right. You. you you have to think about your future, and maybe that's the look that Drew Brees gave us uh, when when he kind of was questioning the long range, uh, you know, durability yeah. issue as well when he came off the field. But you're right. I think, and I, as I alluded to off the top, I think this is when teams really have to dig down and figure out what makes them tick. I think Sean Payton has his work cut out for him in that he's almost got to be a salesman on two fronts. You mentioned the Taysom Hill thing. Um, I think it's fun in games to have talk about Taysom Hill and, and the fact that he's an NFL quarterback until the fact comes that you have to play him as an NFL quarterback. I love time. this part of it. It's like totally <laughs> going to call Sean's bluff on all this yeah. bull, right? I mean, no, come on. No doubt. It's a, it, it was it was kind of a, a game until it, now It's we're, we're playing with live bullets. So he went with uh, Jameis Winston last week. I think he'll go with Jameis Winston again. I actually think that Taysom Hill, the more he plays, probably the least effective he becomes because he's not that toy in his back pocket. He's more of an everyday passer. And and I think there are some of us that don't believe that's actually the case. Uh, Taysom Hill has is, is always been a little bit of a gadget toy for them. And I think you'll probably see a little more of that. But Sean has to sell to the outside world a little deception still in that who am I going to play as a quarterback, kind of keep the opponent guessing. They've got to prepare more for Taysom Hill, which is a, a legitimate thing. But the other thing that him and Mickey have to do on the inside, and I've been in their shoes, they have got to sell to their own building and to their own locker room the fact that Jameis Winston is good. He has got to be the guy that they build up. Internally, they got to walk a little bit of a fine line, but they also have to they have to build up his confidence and the people around that building's confidence in Jameis Winston. I go back to a couple times in my career early when I was witness and, and not necessarily part of the decision-making, but you mentioned early 80s. One year, we had Kurt Warner, our running back from Penn State, who probably was our best player in Seattle at the time. He tears up his knee in his second you know, season, first game of the year. Well, I remember Chuck Knox and Mike McCormick at the time, they wanted to go out and sign um, uh, Franco Harris. Franco Harris. Yeah. Yeah. And we all knew Franco Harris was kind of at the end, right? 
but it was the message that was sent throughout the locker room and throughout the building and then became the message throughout the whole city of Seattle that, hey, we still have a chance. We've got Franco Harris. So they've got to kind of post uh, Jameis Winston up in New Orleans like he's the Franco Harris for, for these remaining six or eight weeks anyway. So an interesting dynamic as to how Sean sells this, how Mickey sells this in his own building and then outside to keep the opponents guessing. So one thing I wonder about that, though, I always felt like one of the problems with Jameis Winston in Tampa is he was entitled. I mean, he, he couldn't get fired, right? I mean, they were invested in him and everyone was going to lose their jobs unless uh, they won with him or had Tom Brady as a fallback option, right? I mean, everyone was going to be out of there. Do you maybe, – maybe there's some brilliance in letting Jameis know that there's some uncertainty here. We got, we got Taysom Hill, and you know in the back of your mind Taysom Hill's thrown 18 18- – passes he the more he plays the worse he's going to be he, he's not your guy but do you want to keep some pressure on Jameis Winston as opposed to the sell job do you want to I almost feel like Jameis Winston needs to know that there's an accountability here or does he already know that by making 1.1 million a year have, having the number 34 APY in the team uh, having everything to play for next season does he know that do you is there any risk in building them up because the guys throws the ball to the other team all the time yeah, I would hope that we've crossed that bridge with him. I mean, he was okay. on the street. He basically got kicked to the curb by, by the Buccaneers, and, and the Saints were there to gather him up. So I think that message has been sent. It does, it, it does bring up a good point of accountability. And uh, I saw a stat the, uh, the other day that said Jameis Winston turned the ball over, I think, more in one year than the Saints had the last three years or something like that. I <laughs> yeah, mean, it's yeah, crazy. Yeah. So he's definitely going to be held accountable. I think uh, Sean will do that. Um, I do think uh, the two of these guys, Taysom and Jameis, are going to present a different dynamic. But I don't know that the locker room is going to have that same feel of everything's okay until they see it done on the field. So I yeah. think they're going to have to smoke in, in mirrors it a little bit until they get to the point where – now Jameis has to take him down for a game-winning touchdown or a game-winning field goal. That's when they'll really buy in. But before yeah. that happens, Sean's got to prove to him, at least via word of mouth, that, that we have the right people in place here to go on. Is there any way they're better with, with Jameis, just athletically uh, throwing the ball? I mean, I, I think that, that Drew Brees has been well-documented. They don't throw it down the field much anymore. And some of that was, right. was you know, Michael Thomas was out. But they've got this great tool and Alvin Kamara you know you got Michael Thomas back can we be a more explosive offense Saints if we're the Saints and actually be better is there any way is there any way they could feel better even in the playoffs more dangerous with Winston well I think there's a definite difference in skill set and like you say um I think Sean Payton is going to spread the field regardless and now this field can can become a a a bigger map for him to throw the ball all over the place because of the arm strength that that Jameis brings. So I do think there's something there, but let's face it, all the dynamics have changed now. So we'll see in New Orleans if they can piece this thing together. I think Sean, and and you bring up the point, probably has in the back of his mind, hey, I can really show my scheme here. You know, he has enough ego that he has enough, you know, he feels good about himself all the time. There may be a little ego in there that says, hey, I can prove now that I can do this and that it's my scheme. So we'll see. Absolutely. You know, I always felt when Jameis came into Tampa um, that it was the equivalent of giving the keys to your Ferrari to your 16-year-old son. Okay. When I want to bring in a quarterback, I'm thinking, okay, early on, it'd be great if we had a pretty good defense. Maybe we even have a good run game. We have some ways to kind of diminish his importance and, and, 
you know, look, he's the future, but we don't want every week to be riding on him, right? And right. so the, you go to the Tampa Bay, they got no run game. They haven't had a back for a long time. They Their defense was bad until Todd Bowles got there. I mean, it was a bottom five defense. And, and here's the number one pick. Now, in New Orleans, they've been a little bit run-oriented with Drew. You know, I mean, they have some talent on defense. Maybe Winston can go into the, a situation that would have been ideal for him from the beginning, you know, without a huge contract. You know what I mean? And with the clock ticking, the meter's running here because Drew's going to come back, because uh, the the idea that Taysom Hill could, could get it. So I'm intrigued by it. I think it makes the Saints actually more interesting to me. They went 5-0 and without Breeze last year. Yeah, Teddy Bridgewater. That's Teddy right. Bridgewater, you know, who's uh, definitely a different. I mean, he's going to manage the game a lot yeah. more, a lot smarter than Jameis has in the past. But um, I think this is a great opportunity for for Sean Payton. With it's not like he's going out there with a guy with no talent. He's going out there right. with someone who's the number one pick, who's right. in his prime physically. <laughs> right. I mean, that's a pretty good backup, and I, I love the fact now that they've invested in this position. Yep. I mean, this is, gives them a chance. So I think they're exciting. We had a lot of quarterback injuries running the league. I want to go through a couple. I mean, just I, I think it's almost a third of the league right now has a quarterback injury issue. Dallas, obviously, without Dak. We've got the Foles injury last night in Chicago. Trubisky's out. Bridgewater's hurt. Stafford's banged up. Minshew's hurt. Garoppolo's hurt. Kyle Allen's hurt. Drew yeah. Locke's hurt. Sam Darnold's hurt. Uh, I thought they were passing all these rules to protect the quarterback. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so and you say guys. you wanted to be a head coach or a GM. Wait till you look <laughs> at the list of backups that they, they got to roll out there to play now. It's yep. crazy. So, so the Fools injury on Monday night. Let's hit that one really quickly because Chicago doesn't seem to matter. I mean, they can bench Nagy as the play caller. They can uh, bench Trubisky. They can have Foles in the game. They can switch to Tyler Bray. It yeah. does not seem to be seem to matter. Um, good news, I guess, is Foles going to be back quick. Yeah, at some point, I think. Um, they're going to have to look at options there long-term. I don't think, you mentioned it, regardless of who the quarterback is, I don't think they're set long-term. I think the big worry I would have is if I was in Chicago is, are we going to lose the defense here at some point? Because let's face yeah. it, this is professional football. These men get paid. And if the offense is as bad as they've been really for the last two years, at some point is the defense going to say, hey, you guys are costing me money now. You're costing my family money now. So there's there's paychecks on the line, and sometimes that will divide a team. I think it'll definitely test the leadership uh, going forward. And again, this is above and beyond the Foles injury. I thought before Foles got hurt yesterday, um, he was shoddy at best. He oh, missed yeah. some some throws that... I think, you know, 80, 90% of the NFL quarterbacks would make. So they did scheme open some players. Um, I, I think their problem on offense is going to take an offseason to fix, though. I don't think they can do much about it this year. And it may end up costing, you know, Nagy's job. I don't know. But their their offense is struggling up front. They can't protect long enough to open things up. Uh, and, and then they're going to have to give him some weapons on the outside more than they have now. So there's a lot of issues and a lot of blame to go around in Chicago. Yep, it's a it's a this is a humbling game. You come from yes. Kansas City, Matt Nagy, and boy, you know what? Uh, I, I played a pretty good role there in helping Pat Mahomes get going, and then you show up somewhere where you don't have all that, and it is tough. And uh, for right. them, I think you're right. It's a new direction. Um, you know, Kyle Allen's injury in Washington's a couple weeks old, but we watched uh, we watched Alex Smith. I think improve some. I mean, that was he had them really in a position to. Um, 
to just about beat Detroit. You know, it was back and forth. Credit to the Lions. They were able to win the game in the end. But as you go forward with Alex Smith, do you think that they can have a future with him? To me, it feels like there's some progress being made here. Is there a dilemma, though, in in a downside to, to riding with him the rest of the year? I think it's definitely a, a dilemma. It's definitely a question that, and in their case, you know, Ron Rivera is the head coach. He's the GM. It's really a one-person decision team in Washington um, at some point. And, and I see what Ron sees in Alex Smith. I mean, obviously, it's a great story. You have most respect of anybody in the league for Alex Smith and where he's come from. And when I watched the film from the other day against Detroit, I see why Ron likes him. I mean, he still makes the anticipating throws. He can still uh, show instincts ahead of time when people are coming open he knows all the things that Dwayne Haskins doesn't give you Alex Smith does give you but at some point you're going to have to look toward the future and I think that's where the dilemma lies Alex Smith does give them the best chance to win right now Um, I thought that they used Dwayne Haskins a little bit early in the season as a scapegoat for some bigger issues that they were having on offense. And so when they benched him, my my thinking was, well, maybe at some point they're going to bring him back during the season. And I don't know that that's not the plan, but I don't know it is the plan. I think Alex Smith um, reaffirmed what the coaches see in him by the film that he put out against Detroit. I, again, I, I like what he does. I just don't know at, you know, 35, however old Alex Smith is, if you have a long-term future there. And the worst thing that can happen to you in Washington is get to the end of the season, and let's just say you finish at 4-12 and 12 or, you know, three you know three wins or whatever it is, and you don't know who your quarterback is going forward. I think that's the biggest thing is they, as a franchise, they have to know where they stand with Dwayne Haskins. And maybe they've already, you know, kicked him to the curb. Maybe they already know that. But I think that decision is probably the number one thing ahead of even winning games that they have to know when season comes to an end. Yep. And I, th- I think they've, they've moved on from him. I feel like they have, if you read between the lines on what's been said and written on that situation, he is not mature enough. He is not uh, the guy they want to entrust with it, I think. And certainly they didn't draft him. There's no GM there or a coach right. who's invested in him. And I think at this point, Ron Rivera is about establishing his program. And that was a dysfunctional place, right? I mean, that is a oh, place no where absolutely doing things the right way is is the most important thing for a while as they establish who they are. And I mean, look, this team didn't even have a name. Right. I mean, they, they have torn it down to where they don't even have a name. They are the Washington football team. And so unless Dwayne Haskins, for me, has shown you in the meeting room, has shown you on the practice field a maturity that he has earned it, uh, and you think that he actually does potentially have a future there, um, I'm perfectly fine with saying, you know what, everyone in this locker room, you watch number 11, right. Alex Smith. Everything he does, and I think taking it away from Alex Smith without him just sucking, basically, would be more damaging than the potential upside of Haskins, who was taking selfies on the field and couldn't be on the field last year, remember? I don't necessarily see the upside with him. Now, maybe it is, but I don't think they do. I think they're done with him, and that's been shown already, and unless he really earns it, they're going to go with Alex Smith and feel great about it. And I'm with you. Even I could see he improved last last week. I mean, it just some of the throws, he looked like he's stepping into them. Mm-hmm. It was kind of exciting to watch him down the stretch. So, well, I think it's definitely going to be a, a, a situation to monitor these last yeah. you know six eight weeks of the season. That's for sure because they, it could be very well that that like you say, it's true they've moved on from him. Alex Smith would be a great guy to have 
tutor a young quarterback. And if it's not uh, yeah. Haskins, it's probably going to be another one that they pick high because they're going to be picking up their high again this year. And so maybe they have a chance to get it right with the next group and the next uh, drafting pool whenever the draft is this spring. That's what I see. And I think Alex Smith playing reasonably well, being a good leader down the stretch, put, keeps him in position to be the bridge and the mentor next year for whoever they bring in. Well, Randy, you've watched the film on, on Alex Smith, and we have seen improvement there. You've been watching a lot of film, too, for the Football GM podcast. And I'm most excited about this segment this week because you and I talked last week about let's do an even better job of leveraging your expertise as a general manager and watching film in ways that other people can't. You know, everyone gets the game pass now. Not everybody knows how to do this and, and <laughs> knows how to evaluate. I'm sure you've noticed this when you, no, see, no. <laughs> when you no. see people trying to be, you know, hey, bless them. You know, they're trying, but yeah. you know, people don't even know what they don't know, right? And right. <laughs> and so we're going to get into Devontae Adams and, and the Packers receivers. And the brainchild for this for me was really a couple weeks ago watching um, Devontae Adams have that big game against uh, the 49ers and then kind of hearing him and others talk about uh, him being one of the top wide receivers in the game. And I want to answer the question. I mean, what is a top receiver? What is he one of the top production wise? Certainly you look at Devontae Adams the last three years, he's fourth in receptions. He's fifth in receiving yards. He's second in receiving touchdowns. But for me, not being an evaluator, I don't try to pretend I'm a film expert. I haven't just instinctively placed him in that top elite, almost feared group. And so let's do this today and let's have you explain a little bit of where do you even begin? What's the process for doing this? You know, and what did you, what did you uncover? Well, I think the biggest thing for me was, and we've been hearing about this since last draft, right, in April, when Brian Gutekus, the GM of the Packers, started to be criticized for not helping Aaron Rodgers with perimeter players or playmakers on the outside as receivers. And I think in his defense, at the time, he felt it was more valuable to secure the quarterback position for the next 10 years, and therefore he drafted Jordan Love in the first round. And frankly, as an evaluator and a team builder, I, I can see that. Um, but what it did for me was it made me realize, hey, I need to take a look at these receivers as a group. But to your point specifically on evaluators, I think there are numbers and there are evaluators. But in this case, the Devontae Adams numbers um, are really, really good. And what I found on tape was the tape backs it up. Uh, we, you brought up a great point. Is, is he better than uh, Jordy Nelson, who, who is revered in Packer land as one of the all-time greats in Green Bay? And so actually sent me back to the film room uh, 2016 to kind of see what he was and then compare the two. And what I came away with was DeFonte Adams is special right now, and he should be in that top group of four or five guys in the league. But what it it, the sense it gave me was their group in 2016 was really good because Jordy Nelson was the leading receiver. He has come, he had come back off an ACL at that point, but he also, they also had Devontae Adams. They had Randall Cobb. They had some other receivers in that group that really gave Aaron Rodgers a lot of weapons to throw to. I'm not seeing that same type of depth in that same group when looking at this year's receivers with the Packers. Um, the, the, the main, the number two guy in Green Bay currently, let's face it, is Marquez Valdez-Scandling who I think is a good player for exactly what they use him for in Green Bay. But if I were to insert him in that 2016 receiver group of the Packers, he'd probably be fourth or fifth. 
Yep. So the answer I got at the end of the day was, one, Devontae Adams is really good. We kind of know that. The numbers sometimes skew the facts, but in this case, they led me to, I think they, they're confirming uh, what, what I see on tape. But the other thing was that Valdez Scanling became more of a situational player for me the more I watched of him. He's a longer geared guy. He's a straight line guy. He's not a quick feet, tap your feet and separate type man for man beater per se. And they had that in their prior group in 2016. So the history lesson is kind of confirming the suspicion of the fans and the people who were criticizing the Packers early on this year about not having enough weapons. I kind of concur with that right now. I think they do need to find some more complete receivers, at least one to put in the mix. I'd feel a lot better about the Packers going forward if Valdez Scanling was the third or fourth guy. You know, but they don't have that luxury because the other younger guys they've picked haven't stepped to the forefront. So long answer. Sorry for that. But kind of a, in a roundabout way, confirming what you've seen on, on tape and on paper with numbers uh, backed up by my evaluations. And, and we'll see where it goes. But it was an interesting project, that's for sure. But it, it led me even to raise Devontae Adams' standards and, and his uh, evaluation even higher when I went back and saw what he was in 16, what he's become in 2020, and then the other weapons that go around with him. Um, I think there's a chance the Packers end up adding to this. And one one note, the Packers, I think, felt like they needed to add to this. They had an opt-out of, of uh, Funches, Devon Funches, that they had signed a year ago from Carolina, who had went somewhere else. I believe it was the Colts in the interim. So they felt they needed another guy, and, and they signed him a year ago. He has not played this year because he opted out. But I think he would have added to the mix, and they'll get him back next year. So it wasn't like Brian had stuck his head in the sand and said, we're good enough. They paid some money, got got Funches, and uh, we'll see where he's at a year from now, but he's not helping him this year, that's for sure. So what was your process on looking at Devontae specifically? And then let's get a detailed scouting report on him as a receiver. Well, what I look at is is I want to find out, is he getting open or is the system getting him open? The one thing that separates Devontae Adams, and no pun intended on the separation term, is the fact that he can separate from bump at the line of scrimmage. He can get in and out of a cut as well as anybody. But the other things that, that I know Um, Aaron Rodgers loves about him is that he doesn't always have to be open to be a target. He can, Rodgers has become now to where if he's in doubt, he just throws it up to wherever Adams is. And Adams has a great knack for catching outside his frame and catching when he's covered. And those are two areas that don't get enough time when people talk about the evaluation of of receivers, because let's face it, they cover you in the NFL. You're not always going to be open. You're going to have people draped on you. And Devontae Adams has strength to fight through that contact downfield and to catch when people are draped on him. And he's done a great job of that this year. So um, I think the big point I, I found from from Adams is that his game is complete. There's really nothing that he can't do. And it brought up another topic for me because I think he's only signed for one more year. So they're going to have to deal with a free agent that is at the top of his game after this season at some point and probably extend his deal. So that's going to take some money and some resources to do that. And I think right now, from what I've seen on tape, Devontae Adams deserves to be the highest paid player. Yeah. So for me, Devontae Adams, so if you look at his uh just go over the past three seasons, okay? He's third in the league behind Julio Jones and, and Michael Thomas in yards per game receiving. And just in my sort of, you know, 10,000 feet evaluation of production, yards per game is a really good one. I mean, you just look at guys in the Hall of Fame, okay? They're about 
they're about 75 yards per game. Okay, that, that's a great pace if you can keep that up. For 200 games, you're gonna be <laughs> you're gonna be in the Hall of Fame. And so he's he's over the last three years, he's at 92 yards per game. That's a 1,470 yard pace for a 16 game season. <laughs> the problem I have with them is he's never had a 16 game season. Um, he's missed seven of 41 games. He has 1,000 yard year because of that. I know he's certainly on pace. He's going to go over it this year. So that could be a, a potential concern, not enough for them to not pay him. Um, he's but, missed two games already this year. Yeah, he's missed two games already this year. So I think being available, uh, stacking together 1,000-yard seasons is all part of this. And he hasn't been able to do that because he's missed 17% of the games uh, over the last three seasons, and he missed other games before that. So him staying on the field and proving it week to week, maybe even doing it in the playoffs, um, could help put him – um, over the top. Let's get a quick scouting report on a, you, you mentioned Valdez Scantling. Was there anyone else there? I mean, Lazard could be coming back. Uh, is there anyone else there even worth mentioning? Yeah, I think it's just a bunch of guys. I'll be honest with you. Lazard yeah. is a guy they got off the street from Jacksonville, was an undrafted free agent. He's a bigger body guy who almost acts as a tight end. Tanyan, the other guy who plays tight end for them, is another option for Aaron Rodgers. I don't see anybody else with the explosion, with the ability to, to get open on their own. I think these other guys have to have the system get them open, per se, um, and worry about matchups. If they get a smaller guy on them, then they become more of a viable option. But I don't see a group that instills fear in anybody once you get below, you know, really Adams and, and Scanlon to a point. But uh, I think Scanlon is better served as a third or fourth guy that can stretch the field, that can run certain kind of routes, you know, straight line type routes. I think they're going to have to invest in the future in, in another receiver because even when they get Funches, Funches is a bigger straight line, longer geared guy too. So they're going to have to invest in another younger, more explosive guy, kind of like the Steelers have done, you know, with their second round picks the last four three or four years, they've got to find more do-it-all type receivers. And so maybe the Packers, the moral of the story is they've got to adjust a little bit their criteria as to how they find their receivers and what they're looking for. Absolutely. I think just well, they've had well-rounded pros there. They don't as much right now. Um, I'm going to, as I sort of clash to my players, and I do this a lot because for Hall of Fame voting, I kind of put them into a couple categories. I think there's admired players and there's feared players. Mm -hmm. So like to me, there's no one more admired than Frank Gore, okay? I mean, I just admire everything about him, how he carries himself, the production. Yep. Uh, we, we saw in the game the other day, Andrew Whitworth's a very admired player. I mean, he's done it for 10 years or longer, and he's been one of the top 10 guys um, in the league, probably just position almost the whole way. I mean, these are people you really admire. Barry Sanders, you fear, okay? <laughs> or, right? You know, you're playing Walter Jones or Larry Allen. You, you fear him. Mm -hmm. I mean, guys might miss the game if they don't feel 100% that week. Right. Devontae Adams, you admire him or you fear him? Um, I think he's becoming a feared receiver because he can run well enough. Usually, to answer your question, is that speed is what people fear. Yep. That's really what they fear. But in his case, that separation, the ability to go make plays over the top of you, the fact that you can cover Devontae Adams and he's still an option – tells me that he's going to he's becoming a feared player i don't think green bay has a choice but to pay him because of the oh, yeah, op no, no. the options that they have they have no options they're going to have to add to this so I, I i think he's well on his way to becoming a feared player to answer your question randy great stuff there on the packers on Devonte adams you know another situation i wanted to talk about this week was in new england suddenly you got the patriots winners of two in a row um, Bill Belichick keeps talking. Uh, it's a little, little confounding there at times, but he's doing some coaching too. 
And so I was talking to somebody and they're like, look, I don't care. I don't want any part of them. We don't want to play them. I know they, they, they basically are terrible right now uh, from in certain ways. And we don't want to play them at all. Uh, this is somebody from a good team. So, you know, as you and I were talking and looking at the coaching jobs being done around the league and you talking about this is sort of the time of the year when you really earn your money as a coach, as a general manager, we now have the... Patriots coming off back-to-back wins. Um, they're not, I guess they're not out of the race in the AFC East. And maybe, maybe, maybe Belichick's a decent coach. Maybe he's doing a great <laughs> job. What, what are you seeing from them and can they contend? Well, I, I totally agree with your, your uh, line of questioning, Counselor. Um, I do think that uh, Belichick has, I think, done one of his best jobs. I think the clouding of that has come when he has commented so much so often to take the road of Bryson DeChambeau and give us every little detail uh, that we don't need to hear. You know, uh, I'd like to see him just coach his team. Yeah, and let the let the chips fall where they may. And I think we're seeing that. I think... When you consider they had more opt-outs than anybody when the season started, they were up against it cap-wise, but the opt-outs gave them some money, so they are able to carry some money into next year. So that's going to end up being a positive. And the fact that they had no off-season to deal with any of this stuff to bring his team together, I think you could make a case that since the season has started to Week 10, he and the Patriots have come further than any other team. I do think practice matters, and in this case, for them to establish the running game, and let's face it, that's really what they have. They don't really have a passing game. To establish the running game, I don't think he could even start until he started playing games because the running game is tooled on pad level, timing, contact, all kinds of things that can't be duplicated in practice per se all the time. And I think he's come further from week one to week 10 in developing this on his team, that run game. And we saw it the other day against Baltimore. I mean, they tore them apart with a group up front that I would have said, well, I I said it, it was a weakness of theirs in week two or three, their offensive line. Now they're playing as good as anybody. So I think they have done a great job of developing and improving their team with the same personnel so that it can be done. There's no doubt about that. I think they've done as good a job as anybody in that, and it just solidifies his reputation as a coach and as a developer of talent. He just takes, in my opinion, less and does more with it year in and year out, and I think this year he may have topped himself. I'm going to withhold judgment on this because I think the next five or six games are going to tell us that. Here, Let, let, me, let me counter that a little bit with – Okay, they lost four in a row, and then they're down by 10 points to the Jets. And in their two-minute offense, I think they're running the ball, um, which is amazing um, mm. to me. And they pulled it out. But it's a, it's a really horrifically, historically bad Jets team that lost the game. And then you go the next week, and you got Baltimore, which is the best record in the league since the start of last season. That's an impressive win, but in a sideways rainstorm with a quarterback who's completely limited, let's face it, Lamar Jackson's the MVP of the league. But if he if he can't just run the ball and have their offense really going, you you may be able to beat him with in a rainstorm with Cam Newton. So to me, I want to see they got Houston, Arizona, Chargers, Rams, Dolphins, Bills next. Do we think they're going to be able to win those types of games? Well. Here's what I'll say about them. I don't think they're a playoff team. I don't think they're talented enough. I don't think uh, that's going to change during this season. 
All I'm saying is he puts together game plans and always has. And it sounds ridiculous to say this, but he puts together game plans for to help him win the game that week better yep. than anybody else. And that's why I think his bread and butter has, has become. He's also evolved this group, and not to say that they've evolved into a high-powered offense, because we obviously know that, but he's playing rookies up front, he's playing different running backs, and he's finally settled on you know, some positional changes and got some stability that gives them a chance to improve. That's all I'm saying. And he's done a really good job of improving that. The fit that Damian Harris gives them at running back over a Sony Michelle or somebody like that is a great fit. This guy doesn't leave yards on the field. I've always thought Sony Michelle leaves yards on the field. He runs a little soft. He didn't always see the holes. Damian Harris is bringing that to the to the table, play in and play out for them. You were talking about him in week one, weren't you? I mean, yeah, weren't I mean, we talking he, about him? You were like, this is the guy who needs to play. Right. And yeah. for whatever reason, it just hadn't worked that he got the chance. But I don't see them going backwards with him now. The other thing is Isaiah Wynn at left tackle now. And I don't know if they drafted this guy to be a left tackle because he's a little short in length. But he's become a really solid developing left tackle. Um, another right tackle that early in the season was the third tackle, wasn't even starting. Michael, I don't know really how to say his name, Anuwunu or whatever. He's a fifth or sixth yeah. round pick. Uh, he plays right tackle for them now and has become a really athletic, agile, knock, you know, uh, powerful man at the, at, the, uh, at the right tackle spot. So they've just done a good job of developing their players, and that's what strikes me the most. Yeah, and they're interesting. They, I, like, I actually like their game this week at Houston. Um, here's why. Houston... Uh, is one, has had one of the worst defenses in the league. They're led yeah. by Romeo Cornell. He'll run the ball right down their throat. Yeah, Absolutely. No he has. You, when you play Houston, you have a path to win the game. I mean, Houston yeah. just lost ten to seven, right? So, and it's Romeo Cornell, who's a who's a uh, you know who, who's yeah. a New England guy, and so there's going to be great familiarity. Um, I think this is a great sort of test, uh, a proving ground. Not that Bill Belichick needs to prove anything, but let's face no. it, he's in a different situation than he's been <laughs> in no recent doubt. years. And this is almost a fun game for me. You're going to be going against a team that has Deshaun Watson, um, that should be able to beat you, and yet I wouldn't be shocked at all. You know, yeah, if no, England... I think when we've said it for the last few weeks, coaching matters. It matters, and yeah. I think if you go into a game with the best coach and the best game plan. Maybe you're not the most talented, but you've got a good chance to win the game. And that's what they've done for years in New England. They always haven't always had the best roster, the best players. Sure, they had the best quarterback. But at the same time, Bill should get credit, I think, for this group and what he's doing this year. That's my only point. Yeah, and absolutely. And they were the number one team probably affected by the COVID no doubt. You know, situation. And I think as we get to the to the final, you know, stretch of the season, this the, one of the biggest concerns has been how teams deal with with COVID and who's gonna who's gonna check out. We talked about opt outs, but who's gonna check out and not be diligent, right? And now we yeah. have the pandemic gaining ground, unfortunately, in the country, and and uh, more and more people are getting it. In some states, the positive rates are you know off the charts, yep. um, and so this is going to be a concern week to week um, for teams. I know in my pick six column on Monday, I I. Uh, suggested the league just basically outlaw in-person meetings. Just take the take the stress <laughs> away from the GM who doesn't want to have to tell his coach that we can't meet in person and just say this is this is a rule. Um, what do you see for the last couple, you know, six weeks or two months of the season here? Um, just the weight of all of this on on yeah. teams. Is it, are we going to see? Are we starting to see some teams buckle? 
Well, I don't think there's any doubt we are. I think, and we said this early on, it may not be the most talented teams that end up on top at the end of all this, but it's going to be the ones that show the most discipline, show the most resiliency, and can actually handle all the ups and downs of the COVID world. I mean, I think pandemic fatigue is is for real. <laughs> and uh, I think it exists in society, exists in everybody's homes. And how could it not exist in these locker rooms and facilities around the NFL? And this is not to make an excuse for them, but they do go through a lot of protocols. And, and every day, it can become a burden, all the things that these guys are doing to play these games on Sunday that everybody wants them to play. I think it's, it's kind of uh, reared its head a little bit last week, in my opinion, with road teams finally struggling to the point of being 1-11 on Sunday. That had not been the case until then. So I think there's a lot of things that we have to look at down the road here, pandemic-oriented. I, I think I heard a number from an insider the other day that there may be four teams is, is all that have not been affected by COVID with some kind of a positive test with players with a coach or staff. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I think... You know, teams have done everything they can. To, there's just some things that are out of their control, and they just come. It just comes back to me of trust and of of leadership in the building. And those teams that don't, haven't been affected should be commended. That's for sure, because that's an impossible task. Yeah, one on eleven on a Sunday in the road. You're not going to find worse than that. We will be watching that next couple uh, weeks to see. If, you know, it could be a one-off, could be an aberration. I yeah. don't think it's going to be that bad every week. But um, are there signs of teams? You know that that have frankly had enough or right. maybe they don't have as much to play for or what, whatever the case may be. Um, it is going to be a grind. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's get to our pick segment, Randy. I mean, I'm excited about this, and and I think we can expand on some of these. First, we'll look at last week. Um, it's funny. Arizona was favored by two at Buffalo, and and I, I, I and it's a two point. It ends up being a two point game. Yeah. Isn't that oh, something? I know. I'm well aware. <laughs> <laughs> that was the craziest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think you took Arizona. I took Buffalo. We were both right, I guess. <laughs> I guess depending on when you got the points last week, because I saw even down to a pick'em game on some lines. So the yeah. line mattered. That's for darn sure. And the fact that Arizona, and I don't think I've ever seen this, scores you know, to win the game, really, and refuses to kick the extra point, I guess because they're afraid they could get run back on them for two points. I don't know why they don't kick the extra point, but I, I've never yeah, seen Yeah, that's why like it that. was. Yeah, yeah, that's why it was. They're, they're like, hey, what, you know, because there was so little, you know, there wasn't much time. There was sort of two seconds or something yeah. left. So, yeah, they just decided let's not risk anything that could yeah. make it. That's an interesting one. I was thinking on that point differential, like if you were up by one, 
there'd certainly be no reason to kick it. But right. when you're up by two to get to three, you know, yeah. I, 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 yeah. I it was know. over my head. I yeah, would have yeah, just probably yeah, lined yeah. up and kicked. And yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. The other game, I think we both took the Rams against Seattle, and we were both um, correct there. Um, yep. it feels like we're going to be talking about Seattle maybe in, on the podcast next week. Yeah. You know, we'll get to yeah. them. It's tenuous. That's right. Yeah, we both did take Minnesota um, over Chicago in the Monday night game. I don't know how much credit we can take for that, but um, we gave the points, and so we were correct on that one. This week, I got a few games down here. Sure. Um, Kansas City is at Vegas and favored by six and a half, and I'm just going to be up front. I feel like I have to take the Chiefs because <laughs> I have been a skeptic on on the Raiders, and, the, and I think I may be going to be wrong on them. Um, what is the honest evaluation of them and on Derek Carr? Because I find, you know, I talk to people all the time, especially about quarterbacks. Sometimes scouting reports on guys die hard, you know? Yep. And yeah. and I think I think a lot of people have made up their mind on Derek Carr that he's soft. Yep. Mentally soft, physically soft. Let's just be honest about it. And he's gonna have to like disprove that seven times instead of one time. Right. Where are you at on them and him in this game? Yeah, I think it's a great point. And, and those evaluators out there, and I, I've been one for forever, you do get anchored on your position. That initial position and initial evaluation goes a long ways. And sometimes you're talking about the same things 10 years later. And uh, in this case, I think you're right. I think the biggest question I had on Derek Carr when looking at him at Fresno State was the guy always operated from a clean pocket. The ball came out so quickly, he never got hit. He never got hit under the chin strap, had to get up and go back in the huddle and get hit again. So the toughness question has always been there with him. Plus, he's, you know, a good-looking kid, and he kind of, you know, should be a model in his own right. And and everybody said, is this kid really tough? Is he Can he battle week in and week out? And I think the first part of his career, that's still been a question. But what I've seen in him this year, and I've actually talked to a couple uh, Raider personnel people as well, and, and they're in agreement with me that, he has come and kind of got over the hump on that this year. I've seen a Derek Carr that has been showing toughness, that will run out of the pocket and take a hit, that'll do anything he can to win for his team. And I think he's overcome that a little bit. Where I still struggle with the Raiders is with their defense. I just don't know if their defense is any good. I haven't seen them pressure the quarterback consistently, and I haven't seen them cover people long enough to matter. So they've got to manufacture pressure, and when you do manufacture a lot of pressure, you end up risking a lot on the back end. So I think I see a little bit of your dilemma with the Raiders. Um, I think that they, having beat Kansas City already, the odds of them sweeping them, I just don't see it. But when you're talking about Kansas City get, given six and a half points, obviously that's why these odds are, are tough yeah. to pick games, right? I mean, that's, that number may even go up a hair because, uh, let's face it, Kansas City is not taking well to being beat down by the Raiders. I've heard some comments that Andy Reid made that he never makes, you know, about hey, this is a little bit of a revenge game for yes, us. Yes, I think they're going to get Kansas City's best game. Yeah. So to, I'm going to ride end. with Kansas City. I'm a little yeah. worried with it. Are you, who, who, what side are you coming down on? 
I'm going to go with Kansas City as well based on that. Oh. The fact that I just don't think the Raiders can sweep them. I think the odds of that happening, you know, and I guess they could win the game and not cover, but I'm going to have to go with you. I'm, I'm, I'm with Kansas City riding into Vegas and coming out victorious. Expecting you, the big Derek Carr fan. <laughs> and then I bailed. That's right. You bailed at the end. Yeah. Very Who's soft, him or me? I don't know. Yeah, you <laughs> were standing in that pocket like a tough guy. And the minute the, <laughs> yeah. minute the guy came off that twist, I mean, you took a, you kind yeah. of Jim Everett yeah. there, so took a I seat. <laughs> um, okay. Tennessee's at Baltimore. Baltimore by six and a half. I, I can't, I can't do that. I'll do Tennessee. What about you? I mean, I just, I feel like, I feel like a Baltimore can be managed now a little bit. Am I wrong? I'm thinking a little different on that one. I think Baltimore, this is a good matchup for them. I think Baltimore's often all about matchups from here on in. Certain okay. teams are going to do well against certain teams they're not. I don't I haven't bought Tennessee's defense. I'm not sure they're disciplined enough to to stop the option, you know, the Army Navy attack that Baltimore rolls out there. So I'm going to go with Baltimore. Uh, I think they score often against a Tennessee defense that's not as good as people think. Maybe a good call. I, I, it probably won't be in a sideways rainstorm like the game last week. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I do also, I'm with you to the extent that I think, um, you know, Baltimore's still a good team. But um, that is a little concerning what's happening with them in the passing game. So we'll see. Green Bay's had Indy. Indy's favored by two and a half. Um, hmm. Can the Packers beat? First off, do you think the Colts are a good team? I think they're a good team, but I think they're really limited. I just think their passing game is going to hold them back at the end. I think Philip has struggled. Uh, I'll be the first to tell you I love Philip Rivers. I lived with him for 10 years uh, in San Diego and, and L.A. I just don't see the same guy at this stage. So um, I think Indy is a good team. I don't think they're a great team. I think Green Bay can be a, uh, can score more points than Indy can handle. Uh, I just don't know if this becomes a shootout because Indy does have a good defense. But I'm going to bet on Aaron Rodgers over uh, uh, Phillip at this point, and I'm going to take uh, Green Bay and, and get the points, which doesn't seem to happen very often. Yeah, I'm going to ride with Indy um, on this game. I just feel like Green Bay defensively not a good team. Um, I think they're they're vulnerable, and I think that. This could be a game where Indy sort of uh, showed me something in the last game, right? I mean, they were coming off a really tough loss. Probably should have beat Baltimore. You know, they had mm -hmm. the return go the other way on them. Uh, and then they come back on a short week. And they really kind of took it to um, Tennessee. So this is a good prove-it game for me with Green Bay. I think they've been a, a nice team this year. But when they've had to go play a tough defense with Tampa Bay, they wilted. They weren't even in the game. So right. how's it going to be against a good um, Colt defense that maybe takes away the run game, right? Um, how do they adapt to that? So I think that's a good one. The last one is the Rams at Tampa, and Tampa's favored by three. Um, they played a wild game, I think, last year. Remember, we were a bunch of defensive yep. returns and stuff. Um, this is a fun one on Monday night. Um, yeah, I think it's a great matchup. You're right. Yep. And I see a contrast between, like, to me, this is a little bit like the um, Saints-Tampa game to me. Um, I may take the Rams and the points, even though I hate Jared Goff going against pressure. I hate it. Yeah. Um, I feel like this is a great test for Tampa because the Rams are a cohesive team with their head coach and their quarterback. They know exactly what they want to do. Um, they did score a lot of points on Tampa last year. Um, and then defensively, I think they are a good defense. Um, right. They will make it a little harder. So I I'm not all in on this pick, but I just sort of want Tampa to prove it to me. What, what do yeah. you think? I think you're right. I think it is a referendum game for Tampa. I think 
uh, I always go back to the Jared Goff deal, and, and I'm with you. I'm, I'm not the biggest Jared Goff guy. I'd rather get in line behind Todd Bowles and his defense. Um, I love Sean McVay. I think he'll go in there with a good plan, and like you said, they'll have done everything they can to win the game. But I think at the end of the day, Tampa Tampa has to win this game in my mind. They have to win this game because they've got a chance to take a stranglehold on their division now with the Saints issues. And I think Tampa's got to play better defensively. Um, I just think for the time being, Tampa may be as good as there is in the NFC and, and, and they'll show it this week. I think they're it, can you be desperate and be in first place? I just think they, they, they have a little desperation now because this division has been rolled out in their lap and they've got to be do they've got to do something to win it. Yep. It's time for Ask the GM. Let's go to our Ask the GM segment, Randy. I, I just, I, we have good ones this week. Let's just rapid fire through them. Nick asks us, Nick's asked a few, how many more weeks do the Eagles wait to start Jalen Hurts? Is that a, even a consideration if you're the GM? I'll be honest with you. I don't even think it's a thing. I, I think the Eagles have a lot of problems, and I know Carson Wentz has taken the blame for most of them, but I don't see this as a win steal. Sure, he's got to stop turning the ball over and doing some crazy things, but I think Doug Peterson's the one that's got to look in the mirror. I just don't think his game plans have been established to win games. I think if he wants to win games, he needs to run the ball, and I don't think he wants to run the ball. I like uh, the little running back that they have, Sanders, but he's got to stay healthy. Um I don't think Jalen Hurts gives them an option as an every-down quarterback. Let's face it, Nick Saban replaced Jalen Hurts in the championship game, in the NCAA final game for Tua, uh, because he didn't think Tua or he didn't think Hurts could throw the ball well enough for them to win the game. Yep. I don't think Jalen Hurts has become a passer overnight. I do think he improved when he went to Oklahoma, but I just don't see that as an option. I think Jalen Hurts is more of a gadget player, not a full-time quarterback in the NFL, so I don't see that yep. happening. Good question here from Tim. He asks, looks like the Mac trade, the Khalil Mac trade, didn't turn out so great for the Bears after all, which I actually disagree with. It's success all hinged on the development of their young quarterback, and their offense is a mess with a terrible offensive line and a lack of playmakers. I do agree with that. As a GM, how would you go about fixing their team? Yeah, I think it's twofold question, and I don't combine the two at all. I think you're right. I, I think the Mac trade was a great trade for them. It turned out just fine. Um, I think they have a defense that is top in the league and, and good enough to win a Super Bowl with. It's sad that their offense has become what it has, but I don't think you can blame their offense on the addition of of Mac, that's for sure. So they've got to find a way. I don't think they fix it during the season like we talked about. They're going to have to revamp their whole offense, and they need to figure out exactly who they are on offense and what they want to do. I think that's the thing for me, and, and that may include coaching changes along the way. I don't know. You know, uh, the Bears have already been through one offensive coordinator under Nagy. Now it might be two, but I just I think this time, uh, in order to fix it, it's going to have to wait till the offseason, and they're going to have to shore up the offensive front before they go anywhere. Yep, I think when you trade a make a Khalil Mack type trade, you better be right on who your quarterback is because you give away picks that would help you get one. I think that's the gamble they made on Trubisky and, and missed it. But you know the Raiders getting a, a good running back, uh, maybe okay corner and a complimentary receiver for Khalil Mack. I'll take Khalil Mack every day of the week. In that he's the the one known thing, elite defensive player, cornerstone player. Um, like that trade just on paper um, for them. Randy, we are out of time. It's a wrap for another Football GM podcast. Thanks for coming along, and let's do this again next week.